Welcome to Designing a House. I'm Katie Hutchison, architect, author, designer, and with me is my co-host, Dawn Oliveira, textile designer and educator. Today in Season 2, Episode 3 of Designing a House, we're speaking with architect and educator Jonathan Knowles about the Sheridan Small Homes Project. Um, This episode is in our Big Ideas category. And we're super excited to have Jonathan here. Very excited. Yes. I'm going to say just a few words about Jonathan for the listeners, give you a little bit of background on him, and then we'll start talking about this really wonderful project he's been involved with. So Jonathan R. Knowles brings his knowledge of building technology and experiments in unconventional construction systems to his teaching at RISD. Professionally, he has over 25 years of experience designing and managing large-scale architectural projects. Knowles has been teaching at RISD since 2001. He was co-project director for RISD's 2005 solar decathlon entry in Washington, D.C., and project director for RISD's 2014 textile house entry in Versailles, France. He has taught at the Parsons School of Design, Cornell University, and Columbia University. Knowles is also a practicing architect and passive house consultant in Providence, where he is partner at Briggs Knowles A&D. His work is dedicated to the design and construction of net zero architecture. Welcome, Jonathan. Welcome. We're thrilled to have you. That's quite a description. Yes. Now, um, so Jonathan, I know you've been involved in many interesting projects. Today, we were thinking we would focus really on just this one, the Sheridan Small Homes Project, mm-hmm. and um, get into a little bit of detail with you uh, down the road, just about the design process is one of the things that's fascinating about it. But it takes off kind of a number of big ideas um, all together in one project. It's sustainable. It involves small home living. It's affordable. Um, it's given students real-world design experience. Um, it's provided workforce development. It hits. It ticks off really just so many wonderful things in one project. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought we might start. If if you could, could you just describe to the listeners what it is? What what is the Sheridan Small Home Project? So the it's. It started as a prototype for the city of Providence. Um, They're currently rolling out their sustainable housing initiative um, Uh and contacted the the RISD, the school, um, based on our contacts and work previously with the city to help them develop a prototype that could, you know, solve the housing crisis in the state and the city. Great. So I jumped on it. Um, Yeah and ran an advanced studio. Um, It was originally under the aegis of the Race to Zero competition with the Department of Energy. Okay. Oh, wow. And that competition required a partner. So the city married me with One Neighborhood Builders, Mm -hmm. who who was the developer and the contractor, and they were Mm -hmm. super excited about developing this prototype for the city. Right. And that's really where it began. It's, It's The idea was to build affordable small homes on you uh, typically undevelopable lots. Okay, great. So the, the city is holding, you know, 200 plus lots that are either too small for a developer to handle or to have a large home. So they, they're looking for answers to build small homes on these lots. And that's a tremendous number, 200 of them. It is. Yeah. It is. For problems. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so they're, they're looking for a solution, reached and reached out to us and went to one neighborhood and we developed, well, we came up with one prototype for the competition. Mm-hmm. We were finalists, went out to right. Colorado and uh, we didn't win, but it was awesome to bring my students out there. Totally. Yes. So is one of the two condos that you ended up with from that competition or did you then change it? We changed it. Um, okay. I, that was a seminar, actually, where we did all that work. Wow. And then I, then I offered it as an advanced design studio. Okay. So open to graduates and undergraduates. Um, tell us just a little bit of background, just about like where, what about the site? Like, um, were you told ahead of time it will be this site? Or was that part of the process also as figuring out which of the 200 sites to use? Well, it, that's a good question. We started out one of the 200. And then one neighborhood was able to find a much larger parcel. Oh. So it kind of evolved. We started out with one, then two. Okay. And then, and then when they found the larger parcel, five. Got it. Uh, wow. So we, we kind of had to pivot a little bit because we designed it for a sort of one-off infill. Okay. And now we were designing it for a cluster housing of five units. Uh-huh. Uh, and they found so a really great site. In it's Omeville. an Olmeville, right? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's maybe we could just tick off just a few of the characteristics of the the two things I've read that they and, and correct me, Jonathan, um, if I'm wrong, that two of them are 750 square feet and three are 790 square feet. Does that yeah, sound and that, about? And that's, and that's net. That's net. net. Yeah. They're, okay. They're, they're like 950, 970. Oh, okay. Gross square feet. Got it. That's helpful to know. Yeah. So um, there are two beds, one and a half baths. Mm-hmm. Um, the site is three quarters of an acre. Does that seem right? Or approximately? I guess. <laughs> yeah, in that neighborhood. Yeah. Um, and you were trying to accomplish a number of things, including affordability. And so in the affordability spectrum, um, two of the households are for those earning 80% of the area median income and three or four those earning 120% of the area median income. Now, was that something that the city decided? Who came up with, with well, that, that? That was one neighborhood builders and that's, okay. their, that's their mission. They okay. dedicated themselves to the city and to Onlyville and specifically to develop um, affordable housing. And awesome. they've been around a long time, right? Like 20 they years have, or something. They have. Yeah. And they're doing they're doing quite well. Um, really? Yes. Wow, what a great and then organization. I, with, with grants and yeah, that's what ah. I'm. That's the other kind of the other big question a listener might have um, is just how it was funded. So, because I understand currently they're selling for around a hundred and forty thousand. Is correct. that right? That's correct. Um, and you know, clearly it costs more to create it's them. One eighty, which is actually not. That much that. more. So okay. they've they've sought, you know, they've looked for funding for that difference. Oh, okay. Per house. Okay. So, and that's through state, uh, federal, uh, and local grants. Okay. It's not as big a jump as I thought. No. Um, okay. Now, tell us a little bit about um, when you do work on this with your students. I'm just kind of um, trying to figure out how it works. You said so it's a, com- a combined studio different mm-hmm. level students, how many students are involved and, and how long did it take and how many iterations were there and, and that kind of thing. A, a lot. Um, yeah. Again, it was, it was kind of tough on the students because the site changed the program. Mm-hmm. You know, we gave an exercise that this, because it was a prototype that it could gang together and be, you know, multi, more townhouse like. Mm-hmm. So we had that exercise. And I then, see. So it could aggregate. 
Yeah. One, one unit could be two, three, four. Mm-hmm. Then we, then we zeroed in on um, a site in Onlyville and that became a single unit. Then we, I said, we got two opportunities. So that's when I split the studio into two, um, an A and a B unit, two products. Okay. Okay. So why not? I had the manpower. We had, right, we right. had 12, 12 students and okay. two teams. Um, and so it was really easy to sort of develop the prototypes. Now, that now I, I hadn't imagined that it was like two separate groups. So did they look at each other's work or how did that? Because the two um, schemes seem related to me. They are. Yes. And that... that came out of that initial research. So there was some basic dimensions and we, we were designing to be modular. So mm-hmm. we had that kind of in the background all the, the whole while. So there is a similarity in their footprint. Actually, they're exactly the same. That's what I wondered if it was the same footprint, which I think is footprint. fun. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Can but I there, jump in as a non-architect here and yeah. ask you to just elaborate on modular and what that is? For so a- actually, most more specifically, um, in my architectural practice, We've been working with um, panelized building companies, um, two actually, Bensonwood and EcoCore, mm. and they build the shell of the house, uh-huh. two, two passive house standards in the factory. Oh, awesome. I see. And wow. there was a hope that these houses would be that. But when the training, when Building Futures came along, the training organization, it, it was more advantageous to use the local workforce. Yeah. So let's talk about who they are. So it was actually constructed by Building Futures. That's correct. And young apprentices, correct? Yeah. Young yep. apprentices. Okay. I think which that's is, so fascinating. It is. Which has been great. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm the, so the, curious about that part. Well, the, the great thing about it, since it's a training organization, they're training to build a passive house. So they're training on sort of the state of the art right now. Right, yeah. right. There is also, I mean, obviously there's a schedule. But since they're training, they do it right. <laughs> and so there's no there's no pressure or argument or mm-hmm. any of that nonsense that usually happens in the construction process. Right. Yeah. So it's been r- r- rather refreshing with the One Neighborhood, Building Futures, us, and, and all of the, the and subcontractors. The yeah, it's just this incredible team. Yeah. Um, now, was there, there wasn't there some type of energy consultant? There's one other. Uh... There is, and thank you for mentioning that. Um, clear result is our uh, validator for both Passive House and Rem Raider, and they work for National Grid. So oh. we can, if we hit their benchmark, we qualify for more subsidies. Excellent. Wow. And his name is John Erickson, and he's been a wonderful partner during this whole process. Fantastic. Um, so maybe for our listeners who aren't um, – Familiar, we can kind of revisit. Could you say just a little bit about Passive House, Jonathan? Just kind of the uh, tick off kind of the key components of, of what Passive House is. Okay, I could go on and on, but I'll be super brief. <laughs> so basic, based on the research in this country and in Canada, a guy named Wolfgang Feiss codified these Passive House strategies in Germany and came up with this protocol. It's not prescriptive. It's just hitting certain metrics that he proved are achievable. So it's not a pie in the sky or like really expensive way to make energy efficiency. He did his homework mm-hmm. and came and, and developed these five concepts, super insulation, uh, high quality windows, triple glaze windows, airtight enclosure, passive design, 
meaning orientation to the sun, and then fresh air supply and then with an energy recovery ventilator. And that's it. Yeah. And, and when you when you activate or when you uh, do, do these do these steps through their protocol, you save 90% of typical energy costs. Wow. Amazing. And what's and cool about that is it makes it, what it does is it makes then renewables really easy because you've lowered all of the loads from, you know, heating and cooling. So then a small, inexpensive solar array can go on the house instead of a giant, you know, array right. that maybe cost prohibitive. Do you, do you know, or maybe you don't know this offhand, I'm just kind of wondering how many panels are in the array on 16. each of the house? 16. 16. That's very modest. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it happens to be the same magic number I have on my house. Yeah. So it must be like the going rate. Um, so you are accomplishing um, so much in that you're doing the passive house, which in your case is also, in your case, in, in the project's case, is also net zero. Um, and that was one of the initial, because you had been in that competition, right? That was one of the initial goals. That was, yeah, from the beginning. And one neighborhood, to their credit, bought into that. So let's talk a little bit more about the design because I want to get back to these two groups of students right. and and how they um, came up with what they came up with and when it, at some point it seems like they must have looked at each other's um, projects, I'm assuming, and gave yeah, each other feedback. We were all in the same studio, but okay. we one group riffed on this idea based, you know, so it, I'll, I'll step back. Okay. All 12 of them had a shot at the project. Okay. Yeah. And then there were certain affinities, and this is how I work. Then, they, yep. the, the, then I grouped them into threes. They okay. had certain affinities, and then I grouped them into six. Okay. So the two. So they sort of marrying everybody's ideas and schemes to the two prototypes. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. It would have been too hard to make 12 people the authors, so I made six people the authors. Right. Right. Um, the one was called Lightbox because it featured a uh, – this idea of spiraling through the house and always having a slot of light and a view to the outside. So okay. you're always looking through the house. Okay. And the other one was called New Levels because it was designed to actually infill the double height space so it could be a third bedroom in the future. Oh, interesting. Or, you know, it could be configured to actually be a rentable apartment upstairs. Um, oh. so, so one that's... had this flexibility. Oh. Yeah. One had this idea about light. Neat. And so is um, scheme A is the light and scheme B is the flexibility? That's right. Um, and tell, uh, because we will, hopefully, Jonathan, after we speak, if, if we could get some drawings of, of the two prototypes to put up, that'd be great. But tell the listeners, if you could, if you were just looking at the plan of A and B on the two levels, what, what might you notice right away that's different? Um, it's, it's actually, they look, they look very similar. Um, mm -hmm. the kitchen, there's a different idea of the great room. So okay. both have kitchen, dining, living in one big room and then bed and bath on the other side of the house. So it's that simple. Yep. Each, each has a stairway up bed and bath upstairs. Yep. That, that they share the a, a unit has these extended porches, a, a lower porch and an upper porch again, extend the living outside. Mm -hmm. sure. The B unit has a very large upper porch for, and, and not none, no ground level porch. So the life could be, you know, at the top of the stairs and just because of the 
location around this great yard, they can be part of the you know goings on in the shared space. Neat. So then when it came, so say you have your, your two schemes, how did you then decide how you wanted to cite them or how many of which there would be? And how'd you come up with that little that that, mix? That I worked with one neighborhood. Um, and it also, so another thing I mentioned, should have mentioned is that each house was designed to spin, meaning oh, that, that the orientation could be, could change. We could very easily change the roof shape, the orientation, the the handedness so to speak so they could mm -hmm. flip turn and so frankly with the with the new onlyville site there was a lot of flipping and spinning because there's five of them right next right. to each other very right. close and getting the roofs to work for south got for it solar array. Ah. so that kind of dictated um you know basically solar harvesting dictated the orientation right. and what about when you're placing um them relative to each other. What what thoughts went into that? You, so you've got them oriented um, to gain solar, um, best solar options. And then when you're thinking of how to set out five, what then, was kind of... Well, the, the site was sort of arc shaped. Okay. So that it was sort of obvious to align the houses in an arc around a great lawn. So okay. They, you, you did mention condos. They are going to be bought, but they are. There'll be a condo association. Okay. So this yard will be a shared amenity. Mm. Oh, that's cool. A big front yard to the river, to the bike path. To nice. the really. So, now, so that's going to be great because from the houses you see green. Oh, fantastic! Now, what about cars? What, what happens to those? They're in the back. They're <laughs> so, in the back. Yeah, so the driveway kind of tucks behind each house okay, and comes from two different sides. So we tried to minimize the amount of, and we're not using paving, we're using crushed stone. Okay. Um, so we just kind of minimize the amount of hard surfaces to maximize the great yard. So do all five, I, I don't know how many parking spots there are, there's probably more than five parking spots. Are they all together or are they kind of with the units? With the units, okay. to, the, to the front door. Okay, yeah, so more like so a conventional... Nice private um, house. Yeah. Nice. And, and that was a trick too, to tuck those into the orientation mm. and to the back. And Right. <laughs> so. Right. Now, so how did it then, how did, okay. So these students who've never theoretically, this is, they're in school, they haven't yeah. had architectural commissions before. How did you um, bring the work that they created to the stage where it would actually be like buildable drawings? Like how, were the students involved in the construction drawings or how did that work? They were. And so then, so the, the core sequence was this seminar for the race to zero, okay. then the, the design studio to come up with the two prototypes. Then I had another seminar where everybody dug deep into the details into the energy analysis and to the beginnings of the working drawings. So it could wow. be priced. So it could be right. priced. Right. Then Briggs Knowles took it over. Um, okay. after after school, we did the, you know, the construction drawings and administration. Okay. We are doing, I should say. Right. It's in the works. It's in the works. So do the some of the students, I don't know like if they like what their graduation schedule is and whatnot, are some of them around so that they can participate in some way for during the construction administration, like to go on site or even just to witness it or I've had a couple come back and yeah and, we, and we've toured it, but they've, you know, gone to points. They're on. They're off. Yeah, they're off into the world. Yeah. They, they did have the pleasure, um, five or six of them came to the ribbon cutting uh -huh. 
with our congressional delegation, which was great. Very um, cool. So that was a that was sort of a, a win for the students. Yeah. And then they've you know it's it's taken a while because COVID and yeah, other sure. things. So um, I'm hoping there'll be a, a really great opening celebration where they'll come back. Oh yeah, I think that would be so neat. Because technically, this is their first project. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And now I think you said that um, just a couple of the units are sold currently. That's correct. Okay. So there's three still available. Three and what is it, a lottery or something? How did people get applied? I think it's an a application process through One Neighborhood Builders. It's actually online, I think. Wow. Okay. You know, you can log in and put in your offer. You're, you know, if you're, mm -hmm. if you're what's the word? Um, eligible. Income, yeah. Right. Income eligible. Right. Neat. I'm really curious, too. Um, as to how the neighborhood around this this new construction um, feel about the project, you well, know, Olneyville is pretty diverse, right? It is, and there are artists that have moved there over the last <clears throat> several years. Um, I don't know a lot about it, but how do the neighbors feel? I'm I'm really glad you asked that, Don, because we part of the design process, and you guys asked about this, is we did have a number of neighborhood outreach community meetings during the design process. Ah. And that, cool. that input fed into the two prototypes as well. So the different groups heard different needs and desires. Interesting. So mm -hmm. we, we had buy-in early through, again, One Neighborhood Builders setting up these community meet and greets. And so this definitely wasn't uh, foisted on anyone. This was right. developed in partnership with the community. I would have thought it. I mean, I would think it'd be pretty exciting to people who live in that neighborhood who maybe couldn't afford a house otherwise. And maybe... Yeah they could actually own a home, even if right. you know, it's a smaller home than they imagined, but it, it, they're beautiful. I've seen the drawings. They're really lovely. That's, That's not, pretty, pretty exciting. They've yeah. come out very, very well. Uh, Building Futures and One Neighborhood have done a really, really good job. They're well done. That's nice. fantastic. Yeah. Really. What about the materials? Maybe we should just talk a little bit like, what are these made of? What are they, and, and what do they, what do they look like? Pretty, pretty robust. Um, we've, we've tried to keep them as green as possible. So the, the slab on grade, I mean, concrete is a notorious CO2 producer, but we used it slab on grade and that's the finish. We polish the floor. That's it. Wow. Um, Ikea kitchens, um, blown in fiberglass um, insulation and you know, Natura paint, Benjamin Moore Natura paint. Um, so it's pretty, the, the, the palette is very simple. Mm -hmm. uh, hardy panel um, clabberds on the outside. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty robust, so it can take a little wear and tear. And it's also... What is the um, second floor material? Is that a wood floor up it's there? It's oak. It's oak. It's oak. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So um, warm that up a little bit. Right. Yeah. And then I'm assuming there's probably some tile or something in the bathrooms. Uh, sadly, you know, budget budget wise, no. But, okay. But there's a pretty decent, you know, drop in. Um, tub and shower. Know, tub and shower unit. Not my first choice, but that's what the, you know, the budget would allow. Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I've worked with the, the, again, the subcontractors have been great coming up with, you know, hot, pretty good quality fixtures and fittings. So mm -hmm. it's not, it's not just, you know, hardware store stuff. It's right. Right. Um, what about been, the, um, the aesthetic? How do you, do, how does the, um, they have kind of a contemporary look, right? They look kind of modern. They look yeah. new. 
How does that um, speak to or relate to the context in this particular site? We did, you know, I'm, I'm glad you said that. I mean, I'm, we're proud of that, but it's also yeah. the students riffed on the typologies of Providence, mm -hmm. the, the porches, the triple deckers, this sort of living up, you know, outside of your house fed into both of the houses. Mm -hmm. um, and again, this, this sort of flipping, this prototype aspect mm -hmm. played into the geometry of them so they could be oriented no matter where. So that, yeah. That, I that, thought that was one of the really fun things about it also makes them look uh, because you've got the the roof slopes kind of going in opposite directions that's right. on them. Um, it, it made them look kind of playful, right? They, they and, have and kind of a fun why. vibe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and they do in a way, you know, the way that you describe them is kind of mirroring and spinning them. They do kind of remind me a little bit of like three dimensional puzzle pieces, you know, <laughs> like, you know, how can we put these together or apart or the spaces you could make in between them. Um, talk to talk to us a little bit about some of the other things like the windows. Those are kind of unusual for a house of this type. We very fortunately, um, I've been working with this company called Zola, which is mm -hmm. a European window company based in Colorado. Um, they've been a sponsor of the textile house project. But they make a, um, their low end is a UPVC window, which has very high performance, but at a typical window price. Wow. So I was able to convince one neighborhood that, you know, it costs no more than an Anderson. So why not? Because I, I definitely needed the triple glaze, thermally broken passive house window, which they right. make. Right. So that, that was a win. They're really robust um, tilt and turn European style. So you open in to clean and you tilt in to vent. And, and you can, and it, uh, what does it do? Pivot out like a door or pivot in? It hinges in to hinges clean. Hinges in, yeah. If you, if you want a lot of ventilation, you can hinge it in. Right. Or they tilt in. Or they tilt in. Tilt in. Very cool that that is a comparable price to an Anderson unit. I mean, yeah. I haven't, that's, um, I mean, I think... There's a high Good demand for that. Right, exactly. And Ooh. from Colorado. I mean, I think of it being like, you got to go to Europe. And, well, you do. It's Colorado. <laughs> bringing them in. Bringing them in from Poland. So they're okay. made in oh, Poland. Poland. Oh, wow. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, they're great. Um, they're really high quality windows. And talk a little okay. bit about, because I don't think our listeners are probably terribly familiar with the whole concept of fresh air ventilation. You named that as one of the five components of Passive House. Could you just talk a little bit about what that is and how that works? Yeah, and, and, and I'm glad you asked because it weirds people out when they hear about passive house and it's this airtight enclosure. They like, oh my mm. god, I'm going to suffocate in this. House. <laughs> yes, no, I read you, that today. You, yeah, you, you open the windows, you know, it's, it's like right. any, any other house. But so if it's a super hot day or a super cold day, the ERV energy recovery ventilator make sure you have fresh air at all times because it is a tight house. Mm -hmm. And what the device does, the genius of it is it exchanges the energy. That's from the, let's say the cold air coming in and the warm air going out, the warm air going out, the energy passes to the cold air coming in. So you're not wasting the Oh my God, heat, that's like magic. It, it, it's, it's really amazing. It's usually a ceramic core that captures the, the heat energy or the cold energy in, in the summer, you know. So it's rather ingenious and it does run, you know, ma the majority of the time because it's a tight house. Mm -hmm. If it didn't run in the middle of winter and everything was shut down, you know, the CO2 level will climb. Right. So that's ah. why you 
it's not a leak. You know, the, the reason this works like magic is it's not leaky. Right. Right. It is, it is a tight house. And so it's not like your typical Providence, you know. <laughs> this no is not like our homes, Dawn. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that means the people living in these homes should have way lower energy bills in the winter. They're not going to pay National Grid, you know, a gazillion dollars if the house is really tight and, and that's, insulated. That's what's so awesome about bringing this to affordability because yes, yes. the people who move in have no energy bill. None. Wow. Zero, oh, man. So they can use that for something else, for yeah. education or yeah, food. <laughs> yeah, you know so. the basics. Um, now the walls also are extra thick, right? Yep, they're now, a foot is it, thick. Is it double stud or how? How are the walls? That, that's one way to do it. We did it a little bit more. It's called advanced framing, and all that means is that it's stud six inch studs on two foot centers. Okay. What you're trying to do is get the lumber out of the wall so you get more insulation in the wall. Ah. So it requires a little bit more care in the engineering, but basically you're lining up the studs with the joists, with the headers, and you're trying to keep, you know, jack studs or triple studs out of the wall. Mm, interesting. But it's still just, it's only a six inch wall. It's only a six it's inch wall. Extra. But, oh. but then we did a rain screen, which is a concept of allowing the wall to breathe. We have four inches of recycled polyisocyanurate on the outside. Got it. Okay. So that's the blanket that, yep. that oh. solves thermal bridging. Mm -hmm. Then we have an airspace. So in case any moisture gets in the wall, one way or the other, it can get mm -hmm. out. And then the hardy panel uh, clabbered siding. And what about the roof? Is the roof extra thick? Same thing. Same yep. idea. Okay. That a little bit deeper, the joists are deeper, so more more blown in fiberglass, but same four inches of polyiso, strapped shingles. Fantastic. So this this I it's really important that I do in my work is that this air gap. So not only do you have the blanket surrounding the house, but you have this yep. air gap surrounding mm -hmm. the house. So air can move, moisture right. can move in, you know, out. Yes. So anything that leaks or gets in behind the siding can get out. And so, Jonathan, you have passive house experience. You've done other yep. passive houses. Yes. Uh, because it is relatively rare in Rhode Island, is it not? Like how many passive houses do you know that are? There's, there's a few. Um, there's one in South County that has been certified, beat mm -hmm. us to the punch, which is awesome. Yep. And you're going to be certified? These, you're this yes. shared in a small house? Nice. We're, sure, we're certifying them. When you say certified, like LEED certified? Or what is no, it? passive no. house. It's, oh, passive house certification. They, they, you know, certify that we meet the program. Uh -huh. And then that kind of automatically goes into those incentives that John right. Erickson and Clear Result, because, you know, if we're passive house, we meet the um, national grids requirements. Fantastic. By default. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. Now... I'm wondering about the future. Um, so, so there are three more of these you're going to build on the site, and some yep. lucky homeowner will homeowners will acquire those. Will this? Will these particular units? Do you see these being built in some of the 200 other sites, or what is the thinking for if this is a model of something Providence could do? How how might it be a model? What might happen next? That, that's a really good question. I'm I'm actually developing another uh, version. Um, based on what we've learned from these two um, with the city. So that's, oh, neat. Oh, I, nice. I've already run another studio and I have three, awesome. um, three versions on queue. So I'm going to be presenting that to the city in the next you know, month or so. Oh, wow. that's fantastic. Wow. 
you know, based on what we've learned and what we know and, uh, and, and actually tackling these tiny lots that the city owns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, ne- one neighborhood, like I said, kind of changed the, the mission, turned into the, the cluster. Um, but they would, those houses would still be appropriate on any of the, ho- the lots. Right. So, so these other, when you're saying these tiny lots, so maybe these would be, these prototypes are for filling a single lot as opposed to like a cluster. Correct. Neat. Yeah. And how does, how does one like myself or anyone follow along with this in terms of maybe wanting to own one one day? Like, is there a website that I could go to and, and learn more about how the next ones will be produced and when? Okay, you're giving me more work to do, Don. Right? <laughs> I'm thinking about, you know, me. Yeah, it's a, it's a really it's really good idea. Well, you guys should follow up. You know, that's, yes. that's yes. the only forum Absolutely. I've got. Okay, yes. Okay. Um, we'll do that. That's that's. I'm hoping to do a true design build with my students with this next one in, okay. the, in, the, in the coming years. Okay. So it wouldn't be through that same developer. This is, no. this would be a different model in terms right. of financing. Yeah. Um, neat. Well, I think it's so exciting, Jonathan. I mean, and we definitely I'm really thrilled and excited to hear. We do want to hear I've... about the, the next, uh, the next ones, whatever they're called or whatever they're <laughs> going to be. And I don't know, can you give us any hint? You said you're taking some of the lessons that you learned from this project forward. Is there anything you can describe to us that we w- might see in the next iteration of something that you learned? What, one thing that I was, we, that I, my, my colleague and my, myself, Brett Schneider ran the studio and Brett's an, an engineer and an architect. And we were really interested in kind of how do you get separate the systems? The, you know, the systems are still problematic because they like, you know, they snake all over the house. Right. So what we were exploring is basically divorcing them from the program spaces and the systems exist in their own little, you know, building. So we oh. called it, we called the studio plug and play. So the systems could change out over time. Okay. The space, the living spaces stay the same. Oh, interesting. So well, that's I think, kind of what we were exploring. Yeah. yeah, I think because I think most people, frankly, are more interested in their living spaces. Yeah. <laughs> and like noodling your systems through is always an issue. It's like, it's oh, I lost the back of my closet or now the bathroom has this weird bump on it or, you know. Yeah, and I've got ducks that, you know, I don't want to yeah. see the radi- radiators. Right. And, so. Now, uh, I guess I forgot to ask um, in, in the Sheridan Small Homes, um, those are mini splits. Is that right? Do you have... That's ductless right. Ductless or ductless, ductless? Yeah, ductless mini splits, kind of restaurant style. But they're the smallest, you know, that you can get. Yeah. That tiny little thing will do the whole house. So it does the heating and the cooling. And the cooling. One nice. unit hanging nice. on the wall. Hang on the wall. Okay. And you're familiar. Uh, Remember, Don, we were talking about those. Like I, you've seen them. I'm not um, sure what a mini split, what, you, what you're referring to when you say mini split. Um, well, I know what a duct in. system is. Yeah, so it's it's a you know you see them often in restaurants because it's a very simple and efficient solution. There there are these white boxes on the wall and they have a fan in them, Uh, and then then they have the you know the coolant goes out to a condenser in the back. Um, But they're very very you know the the famous ones are Mitsubishi, Fujitsu, Daikin, and LG make yes, and they're you know coming on strong because. And actually, Rhode Island's talking about making that, you know, more, way more common for homeowners because they're re- highly, highly efficient oh, cool. and easy to navigate in your space. They also make them, if you don't want to see that white box, they can make them 
to be concealed called cassettes. So that's that's exactly what we were kind of examining last semester. To yeah. How how do these systems negotiate the living spaces and? Mm -hmm. Excellent. Kind of the the critical infrastructure yeah. of uh, yeah making us comfortable. It's a big difference when you're when you're comfortable versus in my place where I don't have air conditioning. <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out how to solve that problem. I, um, I have a question for Jonathan. <clears throat> you've been an architect for 20 years. You've been teaching a long time. 40, um, year, 40 years. Okay, 40 years. <laughs> We're all aging ourselves. Yeah. When, when did you become completely involved with the whole sort of, for lack of a better term, eco-friendly aspect of architecture and green building and passive house? When did, did you make a switch at some point? We, we've always, you know, we were lucky to go to RISD when, you know, that was still, so we, one of my professors, uh, uh, Maggie McGavin was taught oh. us about, you know, okay. passive design. So it's, okay. it's been in the back of our head. I can't say I've been an, you know, energy consultant or passive house designer my whole career, but maybe when I started seeing the, the solar decathlon competition, that's mm -hmm. when I perked up. Mm. And to be completely honest, I mean, me, my wife has been in, Laura Briggs has been involved longer than I have. She was one of the very first passive house consultants that was trained in the oh, really? U.S. And she's had an interest longer than I have. But when that, when the first solar decathlon, the U.S. Department of Energy's sponsored competition came around, that's when I perked up because it's, you know, it was a twofer. It was a pedagogical tool to get our students to design and build mm -hmm. in, the, in the classroom and also showcase state-of-the-art energy solutions. Neat. So that kind of, that in 2005 is when I started digging into this. Okay. All right. Now, Very what about your own, your own home? Is there, is there something going on passive housewise in your own place, John? We, we hope to be the first, um, Passive House Retrofit in Providence. Neat. So we bought an old home, 1920, and have have almost finished renovating it to be Passive House certified as well. Oh, exciting. And that's wow. been a trick because it's all existing. So yeah, I bet. So see, not, that's the subject for a whole nother That's talk. not been easy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, and, and a lot of people, I mean, there's so much existing housing, obviously. Right. And if someone can help uh, those of us in existing homes figure out how to do that. I think that's just fantastic. Another we, really big idea. And we did the reverse here. We insulated to the inside. Oh, wow. Thinking that all the historic detail, the cornice, the, you know, the, sure. the, ga the gable, all of that was sacred. And then we realized, you know, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, all that stuff was designed as a, um, as a catalog. So it all came off like a, it all clips off. Yeah. Wow. And we realized that after the fact. So we were like, <laughs> oh, damn, we should have insulated on the outside because it all just. Oh. But anyway, so we insulated our house to the inside. Yeah. Which poses very different building science concerns. Right. Mm. There are many future point. seminars there. Yeah. yeah. You have a lifetime of material. <laughs> yeah. Of but, but do you agree that. Um, this is the future of architecture and energy saving and you know with climate change and everything going on in the world that to build new it would make sense if you can afford it and you have the, the knowledge behind you have you done enough research to build the way you're discussing this, this 
this project. I, I really think so. And it's becoming, it's becoming building code in Europe, um, which is pretty exciting. And it is making a toehold here. Uh, the head of the Passive House you know, Institute US has been working on it for 20 years. And she's making inroads with industry. And, um, but I would say so, because it's, it's not that hard to lower your energy 90% if you just build right. Right. And then everything else is a no brainer. You know, your, the size of your equipment comes down. As I said earlier, the size of the array can come down. Everything gets cheaper with a little bit of investment in the shell. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the shell's doing the work is the idea. Right. Right. And in your case, I think, you know, this project working with the small footprint, um, you know, 750 square feet, or you were saying that was net. Yeah. Um, doing that in Passive House is also somewhat unusual, right? Doing the it's, smaller it, home. It's harder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because actually volume, you know, ideally it's a, you know, the building would be a sphere <laughs> for analysis purposes, but not many people like to live in a sphere. Um, Don is into that I would. movie. Don would I, like I, it. I totally would. I almost <laughs> bought a roundhouse years ago. Sam and I almost bought a roundhouse out in East Hampton. <laughs> we didn't, but I loved it. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. very cool. Um, but it is, you know, the smaller it gets, the challenge, more challenging it is. Um, mm -hmm. The more interior volume and less surface area, the, the, the easier it is. Got it. Right. Well, Jonathan, we want to thank you for coming today and congratulations Fantastic. on the project. Um, and really all much. your work is, is super inspiring. And we're so grateful that you shared some of your, your time with us today. So thank all you right. so much. I do I want to shout out to the team because it is, yes. it's, been a, it's been a team effort all the way along. Sure. And very enjoyable at that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wonderful. we got to keep following up on this. I certainly am. Please do. I'd love yeah. to give you a tour someday. Oh, that would be so exciting. Oh, we have both of our eyes lit up. We're like, yeah. okay, we're there. Anytime. Anytime. Okay. Great. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. Take care. Bye. Bye.